Welcome to the Redeemer Podcast. For more information about Redeemer Church, visit makingmuchofjesus.org. We hope you enjoy the talk and invite you to visit us next Sunday at either our 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. service. It's good to be back with you. So grateful to, to be back with my home church. It was such a blast to be with uh, Austin and Phil Sandoz and Skip Richter to be uh, out in the Republic of Georgia to serve alongside uh, Pastor Gia, the missionary and church planner that we support in the, in the Republic of Georgia, a, a f- country of the former Soviet Union, and to be able to serve with those brothers and sisters in Christ and to talk about the book of Galatians. And so as I'm here today, I, I already feel awkward because I taught six times over in Georgia with a translator next to me. And so now I'm all alone and I feel sad up here on the stage all by myself. And, and I would talk, I could only talk for 20 minutes each time. And so I'd have to talk and wait for the translator and I'll wait for the translator. So I have no translator today. This could be two hours long. I, I'm not sure how long we're going to go for. But by God's grace, we're going to look at what I think are some of the most amazing truths in the scriptures. 13 things from the book of Galatians that are realities, new identities for who we are in Christ, and that we would enjoy them. Now, I normally don't like things like this, like five hot tips to have the best Father's Day ever. Uh, seven ways to take your Father's Day to the next level. But this one I can get behind. 13 comforts for the Christian. Because what's really, why these are precious to me and must be precious to all of us is that, listen, in the next two to five years, there are going to be things that happen in our lives that we can't believe are going to happen. In the next two to five years, one of us is going to commit a sin that we didn't believe we were capable of committing. In the next two to five years, one of us is going to experience great loss. In the next two to five years, one of us is going to have tragedy and suffering and disease hit our bodies in ways that we just didn't know were going to happen. The next two to five years, one of us is going to disappoint someone we love greatly and dearly and and hurt other people. In the next two to five years, one of us is going to be betrayed and hurt by those who we thought we were close to. And and so when those happen, because this is just human life, under the sun. When these happen, we feel lost and we feel abandoned and we feel confused and and we start looking for comfort and we start looking and this is where people either go to other people's bodies for comfort or go to bottles and what they can smoke and what they can inject and what they can buy and what they can watch, looking for comfort and all of their own things. And this is why in the book of Galatians, Paul lays out for us who we really are in Christ. Because I think one of the reasons we get so frustrated in the Christian life is not what happens externally, but it's what we have forgotten about ourselves internally. That we are brand new people in Jesus because of by his death and by his blood being shed for us in our place for our sins and him rising again from the dead, that now we are given not this figment of some kind of new spiritual reality, but that now we are also seated with him in the heavenly places that we really are, right now, this moment, we are made brand new people in Jesus. And that even the sins that we have struggled with, the sins that we do struggle with, and the sins we are going to struggle with, that they no longer define us. That we are not defined by our former sins. That you're not defined by your present sins. We're not defined by our race. 
We're not defined by our successes or by our failures or by our jobs, by our intelligence, by our good looks, but that rather we find eternal value and hope and encouragement and long-lasting, enduring satisfaction in who we are in Christ. Because even in the local church, I mean, we have to be, in the local church, we have to be an embassy of gospel hope in a world that is falling apart. But it's in the church where we can get it wrong. Where someone confesses a sin or struggles with a sin and they'll say, I'm a drunk. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a drug addict. I'm an adulterer. I'm a liar. I'm a cheat. And then sometimes we look at these people confessing and go, man, they're an adulterer. Man, they're a cheat. Man, they're a drug addict. And this is someone who professes to be in Christ. Now, these are sins but they don't define them anymore. They are a Christian who committed adultery. They are a Christian who struggles with alcohol. They are a Christian, and this is proven in 1 Corinthians 6. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 9. And then we'll dive into Galatians. I think this sets it up for us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, Paul says to the church at Corinth, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, all these identities piling up, will not inherit the kingdom of God. We know this. But look at the next verse, verse 11. And such were some of you. Such were some of you. He looks at the Corinthians and say, you were these things. And this is a small church in Corinth. It'd be like a little house church where they all know each other's past. And here we can look out at the body of Redeemer and we can say, and such were some of us. Idolaters, revilers, drunkards, swindlers, sexually immoral. Such were some of you. But what? But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. So now Jesus changes us and takes what used to define us and makes it past tense. Such were. He doesn't say, and such are some of you. Such were some of you. And aren't the Corinthians struggling with sexual morality still? Aren't the Corinthians struggling with being greedy? Aren't the Corinthians still struggling with suing one another, reviling one another? Such were some of you. But now we're brand new people in Jesus Christ. The old has passed away. The new has come. And if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. And so we, in the book of Galatians, from chapter 1 all through chapter 6, he lays out for them at least 13 identities that they are now in Christ. And we need to know these. Because in the book of Galatians, what their struggle is, their struggle is legalism. And those of us who have grown up in the church, and those of us who just, we live in the Bible Belt, we dwell in the Republic of Texas, we are prone to legalism. I don't, you're probably familiar with the phrase, to fall from grace. 
And we use that phrase in American culture, oh, they fell from grace. That, that means, they, we use that as, oh, they fell into some big sin. Oh, that, that religious leader, he fell from grace. Or that politician, he fell from grace. Well, that's not the way the Bible uses fall from grace. To fall from grace is not to fall into some sin. It is to fall into legalism. That phrase originated from Galatians. To fall from grace is to turn our back on God's grace to find justification and salvation and something other than the grace of God into works and to trying to be a good person and to some kind of work we can accomplish. To fall from grace isn't to fall into sin. We all sin. We are all going to sin until our dying breath. And that's what God's grace is for. We don't fall from grace by sinning. We fall from grace by running to legalism. And we're all prone to legalism. And that's why these 13 things are meant to be injected comforts into our heart, into our soul, and into our minds, and into our own spiritual strength so that we can love the Lord our God and that we can also love our neighbor as ourselves. So when these things hit in our life, those tragedies, that loss, that pain, this, these 13 things can be a light unto your feet. These 13 things can be a lamp unto your path to bring you back into reality of who we are with Christ. Not what the world says, not even what we say, but what Christ says about us. So let's look at the very first one. We are servants of Christ. Galatians 1.10. I hope you have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you got to look on with a friend. You got to look at your phone because we're going to be looking at at least 13 verses today. All right, 13 points. So we're going to be looking along. And I'd rather you look at your Bible than look at me. So Galatians 1.10. Number one, we are servants of Christ. And look what Paul says. For am I seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So Paul says what? We are servants of Christ. After we're saved by Jesus, we are enlisted into his service. Every single one of us. Whether you are in first grade or whether you are 60 years old, we are all brought into the kingdom of Christ and we are enlisted into his service. Jesus doesn't save us and then just let us go. He doesn't just save us and say, okay, now go do whatever you want. I'll see you in the new Jerusalem. No, he calls us into his service. Now we're all called to make disciples. Now we're all called to spread the fame of Jesus. Because what? He says in verse 10, we don't live for the approval of man, but we live for the name of Christ. Why are these contrasted with each other? Because the number one hindrance for why we don't evangelize is because we want the approval of man. We haven't said what we need to say to that coworker. We haven't said what we need to say to that friend. We haven't said what we need to say to our neighbor because on some nano level, we still want their approval. And we know what the Bible says. We know we should say this. We, we know we should call them to repent and to believe in the risen Galilean. We know we should do these things, but man, I, I still want them to like me. I'm still hoping this friendship evangelism works. I'm still hoping they're gonna ask me for the hope that lies within me. But how will they hear unless someone tells them I think we Christians in this area, we fear a raised eyebrow more than a raised fist. We'd rather someone hit us as long as they like us. But here Paul says we exist for Christ and his church. 
we serve Christ. And when we do serve, so when, when we do evangelize, we're serving Christ. When you pray for a sick Christian, you're serving Christ. When we went to that refugee camp in the Republic of Georgia, Austin and Phil and Skip and myself and, and Gia, we were there not just serving these refugees, but we were serving Christ himself. You remember what Jesus says in the Gospels? He says, I was sick and you took care of me. I was naked and you clothed me. And the people say, Lord, when did we see you sick and take care of you? When were we naked? When were you naked and we clothed you? When did that happen, Lord? And Jesus says, what you did for the least of these, you did for me. When we serve, we're serving Christ. All the people that are in building A and building C, serving your kids and serving you, they're not just serving you and your kids, they're serving Christ. You're a, they are a part of his fame and his glory. You are a part of the spread of his fame and his name and his glory. doesn't matter how much training you have. doesn't matter how old you are. If you are in Christ, he has called you in to spread the fame of his name to the ends of the earth. We all play a role in the kingdom. Number two, we are crucified with Christ. This is Galatians 2.20. I have been so clear. I have been, this is who I am, crucified with Christ. What does that mean? It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. If you've been a Redeemer more than a month, you know that this is my favorite verse in the Bible. Something I try to remind myself every single day because it keeps me centered on what reality is, who I am now as a Christian. It keeps me from going crazy, keeps me from wanting to do my own thing, keeps me from getting discouraged, keeps me from thinking terrible things about myself, that I have been crucified with Christ. I don't even live anymore. Christ lives in me. That by faith in Jesus, he is alive in me, and I am alive in him, and I'm a brand new person, and especially the last part, who loved me and gave himself for me. He loves us right now. If you've ever wondered if Jesus really loves you, you can look back to the historical fact of his death and resurrection. He died for you, knowing you were going to do this sin and that sin. And they did not deter him from dying for you. This is one of the greatest truths in the whole universe, to know that you are loved by Jesus. The greatest theology in the world is to know that you right now are loved by God. And it's not a cheap, rom-com kind of love, but a sacrificial, eternal love. How deep the Father's love for us. That even though it was my sin that held him there, how deep the Father's love for us. Number three, we are children of Abraham. Look at 3, 7. Galatians 3, verse 7. Know then, it is those of faith, Christians, who are sons of Abraham. This one feels so foreign to us because Abraham just seems like some distant kind of Bible character, but he's a pivotal character in, the, in all of Scripture because the promise of the gospel flows through him and throughout the book of Genesis. The promise of this land and this world will live forever and the nations, but Paul steps back and says, you, you are a child of Abraham. 
And so you got to read that and not just go, oh, that sounds neat. Think about it. Well, I'm not Jewish. I'm half Mexican, half something. How am I a child of Abraham? I'm not an Israelite. I've never been to Israel. But we are sons and daughters of Abraham because of the promise of the gospel, because we believe in Jesus. Paul says later in Galatians that that promise that God made to Abraham wasn't to Isaac, wasn't to Jacob, wasn't to any of those other people. He says it was promised to one, to Christ, the son of Abraham. Jesus is the heir to the promise. And so since we believe in Jesus, we're united with him. doesn't matter if you're black. doesn't matter if you're white. doesn't matter if you're a Jew. doesn't matter if you're Japanese. We are now grafted in sons and daughters of Abraham. We aren't exiles, and we, we aren't second class. Whatever belongs to Jesus now belongs to us. We are sons and daughters of Abraham. This, we teach this song to little kids. Father Abraham had many sons. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Number four, we're children of God. So children of Abraham, children of God, 326. 326. For in Christ Jesus, so there's the main identity. Again, we've been crucified with Christ. We're in Christ. This is the umbrella identity of being in Christ. For in Christ Jesus, now what else is true? You are all sons of God through faith. We're children of God. Not just in theory, but in reality. Right now, you are a child of the Most High God. Not like Jesus, of course. We are not God, but we're sons of God, like Jesus, and that we're a part of God's family. That we're welcomed into the kingdom. We have all the perks of being in God's family. You have all the perks that belong to Jesus Christ. They belong to you. I think one of the biggest challenges for all of these 13 things that we're going to go through is that it's possible for us to sit here and mentally affirm every single one of them. Mm-hmm, that's true. Yep, that's true. That's true. And yet it means nothing to our life. That you would walk out of here and still struggle with the same things you struggled with. That you would walk out of here and you would still be envious about the same things you're envious. That you would still be greedy about the same things you're greeting after. So these have to move from just being truth in the clouds to being real in our hearts, really believing that by faith, I am a child of Abraham. That by faith, I am a child of God. And that by faith, I, we are all one in Christ. This is number five, look at Galatians 3.28. We're all one in Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, this is a verse that could get greatly twisted in our day. And most definitely people will use this for their own agendas. But what is Paul's point for us? That we are all one in Christ. Doesn't matter if you're Texan. Doesn't matter if you're from the Republic of Georgia, doesn't matter if you're Russian, doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter if you're from Kenya. In Christ, we are one. And there are no barriers. There are no divisions. This is why the local church has to be a place where even the world is tearing each other apart. When even our own political system begins to rip fractions and factions of, of people apart, that the church would come together and say, 
we are one in Christ. We're not united because of our skin color. We're not united because we like the same kind of music. We're not united because, you know, we like to go to the 11 o'clock service. No, we're united because of King Jesus. That's why no barriers should ever be allowed in the local church. There are no divisions. This is why division in the church is so deadly. This is why Paul confronted Peter in the book of Galatians, because Peter was about to rip the church in half right down the DNA line of Jew and Gentile. That's why Paul rebuked him in front of everyone to show that, no, the church is one. We are one in Christ Jesus. No Christian is better than any other. We're all one in Christ. And we could say so much about all these things, but our country, the beginning of our country, is about pitting two races against each other. The greatest world wars that we have seen have started because of one race pitting itself against another. Even Jesus' own disciples were still saying, Lord, you want us to kill these Samaritans? We can call down fire from heaven and kill them. Even they were still pitting race against one another. But the local church should be a kind of teleport looking into what the new earth will look like. Every tribe, nation, race, and tongue united around King Jesus. We're one in Christ. And this ought to kill any inklings of racism you have. There is nor Jew, nor Greek, slave, nor free. If we are all one in Christ. Number six, we are heirs. 329. 329. And if you are Christ, so if you're a Christian, if you're in that umbrella identity, you're in Christ, here's the next one, then you're Abraham's offspring. Well, we did that one. What else? We are heirs according to the promise. As Jesus' people, he gives us all that's his. We are heirs to the promise. So whatever belongs to Jesus belongs to you. What belongs to Jesus? To be called the righteous one of God. That now belongs to you in Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. That God the Father will look at you and say, you are righteous. You have that because it belongs to Jesus. Now it belongs to you. What else belongs to Jesus? The whole universe. So the whole universe belongs to you because you are in Christ. Jupiter belongs to you. The new earth belongs to you. The Hubble telescope is discovering your inheritance for you. We are Christ and we are his heirs. So so listen, it's okay if you don't have the best house in the world right now. It's not the dream house you wanted because Jesus has gone to prepare a place for you. And in his father's house, there are many rooms and he's going to deliver it to you in a day coming soon. It's okay that you didn't get, you know, I guarantee you because you are an heir of all that's Christ, that when you're walking in the new Jerusalem and you're walking by Moses and then there's Martin Luther and y'all are having a chat and you're, you're not going to go, guys, you know, I just got to say, I really wish I'd have gotten the Tesla Model C instead. The Honda was the better choice economically, but man, I just can't sleep thinking about I should have gotten the Tesla. I think Moses might just give you a bless your heart, you know, kind of thing. (laughs) These things feel so overwhelming to us right now because we don't have an eternal perspective. Oh, I should have taken that job. Oh, I should have got that car. Oh, I should have got, I should have had, you know, this or that. 
I wish I would have learned that hobby. Those things, you are an heir of all that is to come. So we don't find our identity in these things and what we have. Like in the new earth, no one's going to care that you went to A&M. Peter's not going to be impressed that you can whoop or be an Aggie or preach it. None of these things matter. And even I went half around the world in the Republic of Georgia and I still couldn't escape an Aggie t-shirt. But listen, these are what matter to us most. And the new earth, I'm not going to be known as a pastor. This is not the most important thing in my life. The most important thing about my life is that I am in Christ. And the most important thing about your life is that you're in Christ, not that you're married. Not that you haven't gotten married yet. Not that you haven't had kids or enough kids. The most important thing about your life is that you are in Christ and we are heirs with Christ. Number seven, we are adopted. Look at chapter four, verse five. Five through seven, we are adopted. Paul says, he came to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And now look at verse six, and because you are sons. He doesn't say, and because you are adopted sons. He says, you receive adoption as sons and because you are sons, because an adopted son is a real son. An adopted child is a real child. There is no, oh yeah, that's still the adopted son or daughter. No, we have received adoption and because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, he hears us. We are his children. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, he ties it all together, then you're an heir through God. God doesn't save us and then kick us out. He saves us and then adopts us. The word justified is a courtroom term, the legal term. So we're justified in Christ. It means you're declared not guilty. You are free to go. You are righteous. And so you can get in your mind, a courtroom analogy. There you are. You're, you're on trial for all of your sins, everything that you've done, past, present, future. There you are on trial. And the judge looks at you and says, my verdict is because of what my son has done for you, I declare Chad Rippey justified, not guilty. That's Christianity. But it doesn't stop there. He doesn't say, all right, Chad, now go and I'll see you in the New Jerusalem. Just tell him you're with Jesus and I'll let you in. But that's not how Christianity works. It continues. He says, Chad Rippey, I declare you not guilty. You are justified. And then the trial's over. And then he says, and Chad, why don't you come and live with me? Why don't you come and live in my house? We can walk across the hall and we can fill out the adoption paperwork. And I'll let you in as one of my children. And all that's mine is yours. This is the glory of the gospel. And even though it was our sin that killed the son of God, the deep love of the father turns to us and says, you are forgiven. And now I want you a part of my family. This is the Christian message. And we now have a home with God. We're no longer exiles. We're no longer aliens and strangers in this universe. And that in the triune God, we have a father and we have a brother in King Jesus and we have a helper in the Holy Spirit. You are an adopted child of God. Number eight, 
We are known by God. Look at 4.9. No, back up, look at 4.8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you weren't a Christian, you were enslaved to those by nature, are not God's. But now nine, but now you have come to know God. That's kind of how we talk about becoming a Christian. Oh, I came to know God and I, I came to know God. And that's okay, but Paul twisted a little. Look at what he says. Or rather, to be known by God. This is what it means to be a Christian, to be known by God. God knows you. We are not strangers to him. There is not a single Christian on the planet who is a disadvantaged Christian. You are not overlooked. No Christian is given special treatment. No Christian is rejected by the Father. And while the world may not care about us, and even friends and family that we think are dear to us, and they may turn their backs on us. I could give you countless names of even people in our church who they've become Christians and their families turn their backs on them. They think they're in some cult and some weird thing now, nothing more to do with them. But here Paul says, you're known by God. You know, we think it'd be really great to know, especially like when you're in middle school and high school, you, you, you have these weird temptations. You want to be known by certain people but you got to know these people, they don't care about you. And you're going to go to college. You're never going to think about them again. There'll be a new group. And I guarantee you, any middle school, high school student, you're not going to be 40 years old, out of shape, laying on the couch thinking, man, I wish I could have been friends with the cool people. If you do, wow, you've got problems. <laughs> these things seem so significant right now because you're not thinking forward. And I didn't even think about what matters most, that you're known by God. And even for adults, we think it'd be really neat to know, have like a super rich friend or to even be known on a certain level by our bosses. I mean, imagine if you knew, maybe none of us want to know who the next president will be or even want to intimately know them, but imagine if you knew, <laughs> imagine if you knew the mayor of Tomball on like a real level. And imagine it's 2010 and you're, you know George Bush really well. It'd be so great. You could call him and be like, George, man, I just wish we could do this in our city. Could you make it happen? I think it'd be so great if we could have this happen for our community. Oh, why don't you come out to Camp David? Let's hang out there. Oh, come on, let's go. Let's go to Air Force One. Let's go, let's go to Hawaii together. Like, man, it'd be great to know him. It'd be great to be known by him but is it great to you to be known by God? Is it great to you to know God and to be known by God, to be in the presence of God? Listen, we're servants of Christ. We've been crucified with Christ. We're sons of Abraham and sons of God, and we're one in Christ, and we're heirs with Christ, and we're adopted into God's family, and we are known by God. And I think if we could even get these eight, just one or two of these eight, to move beyond just being theoretical Bible knowledge that we know, we can affirm, yep, those are true verses, to where they become real in our lives. I think envy will begin to be suffocated in our lives because I'm an heir with Christ. I think pride and conflict with one another will begin to be resolved faster 
because we know we're one in Christ. I think gossip will be taken out to the woodshed and killed because we know we're one in Christ. I think sexual immorality and temptations and lust will begin to be crushed faster because I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And then we'll begin to really know and feel what it means to know that, number nine, we are free. Galatians 5.1. We are free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So Paul says we've been set free from what? Free from sin, free from Satan, free from temptations, free from our lust. And look at who set us free. For freedom, Christ. Jesus did it. Not our works, not baptism, not ourselves, not even our faith sets us free. Only Christ and Christ alone sets us free. Jesus himself. That's why legalism is slavery. It's trying to be free on your own. Trying to be saved by works is slavery. And do-goodery. I'm going to be a really good person. That's what it means to be a Christian. No, it means to be set free by Jesus himself. And now we're free to follow him. So what are we free for? We're free to make much of him. Because before, before we became Christians, before we were known by God, all we cared about was ourselves. All we cared about was our pleasure. All we cared about was our name. All we cared about was us. But now that we're free, we've been freed from ourselves. We've been freed from the old man. And now we're free to follow Jesus, free to love one another, free to serve one another, free to pray for each other, free to rejoice together. In Christ, now we actually have the ability to actually rejoice with those who rejoice. Whereas before, it was just fake. Oh, I'm so happy for you. It's great. But now it's awesome. I feel your joy. I'm so happy for you. And now we're actually able to weep with those who weep because we're one in Christ. We've been freed from sin, Satan, and self, and freed to Christ. And freed to be led by the Spirit, not our flesh. It's number 10. We are led by the Spirit. Look at 518. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. What does it mean to be led by the Spirit? It means our lives and our thoughts and our, our emotions. Our emotions are not a disconnected thing that Jesus doesn't care about. Jesus cares about our emotions. And now they're all brought under the leadership, not of just some abstract law, but under the Spirit of Christ himself. The Spirit uses, well, what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? We sang about the Spirit earlier, the second song. If you whisper, so come now, Holy Spirit, and if you whisper, let us hear it. What does that mean? Well, you should have some idea of what that means because we're just singing it. So what does it mean? It, does it mean we hear this audible whisper? I've never had that. Maybe you have. I, I haven't. So what do they mean? Austin Stone, they wrote that song. What do they mean by that? I think you can find it in the stanza right before that we sang. As we look upon your word, God give us vision of your word. Lead us by the power of your blood. So come now, Holy Spirit, if you whisper. And what is the Bible? It is the breathed word of God. 
2 Timothy 3.16. So to hear a whisper from the Spirit is to hear the breathed word of God come up in your heart and come up in your mind, and then to be led by the Spirit is to live by faith and act upon that whisper by faith. So that when you are tempted, and you're at your computer, and you're tempted, and a whisper, God-breathed word comes up, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Christ who lives in me. And I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's coming up to be led by the Spirit is to click, close, walk away. To be led by the Spirit is to listen to the words of the Spirit of Christ. So that even today on Father's Day, when you're, it's Father's Day and you're lounging and you're being served, and then one of your kids has a blowout diaper, the one no one wants to change. And a whisper comes up of serve one another. To be led by the Spirit and not the calendar means you get up and you serve. This is what it means to be led by the Spirit of God, to be turned away from our flesh, to be turned to the fruit of the Spirit of love and joy, which is in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against these things, there is no law. It says, let them run wild. Let them go. So if you want to know if you're being led by the Spirit, as Romans 8 says, all who are children of God are led by the Spirit of God. Is there love in my life for others? Is there joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness? This is what it means to be led by the Spirit of God. Because we are sons of God. Number 11, we belong to Christ Jesus. Look at 524. After he finishes talking about the fruit of the Spirit, he says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus. This is what it, another amazing and just great definition of what, is, what does it mean to be a Christian? What is a Christian? Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We are not our own. We belong to Jesus Christ. My life is not my own. I, I belong to Jesus Christ. Why are you here today? Because that's what you're supposed to do? Because, well, it's Sunday and it seems like a good day to go to church and I want some teaching in my life. And those are all substandard reasons, motivators to go. We are here today because we belong to Jesus Christ. And he has told us, do not forsake the assembling a gathering together. But each day encourage one another as the day is drawing near. Exhort one another to love and good works. Why do you serve? Why are adults sacrificing? Why does Mr. Russ, so many Sundays in Building A, serving your kids? And so many serving your children, your babies, because they belong to Jesus Christ. Why do you pray? Just because it's what your parents taught you to do? This is what you're supposed to do as a good Christian? No, it's because we belong to Jesus Christ. You sing songs to someone you can't see. Why? Because you belong to a risen Nazarene who sits in the heavenly places. And to belong to Jesus Christ is the sweetest and safest place to be in the universe. We are safe with the good shepherd. 
that even when all around our soul gives way, he is still our hope and stay. That we're safe with the good shepherd in his hands because he leads us beside still waters. He makes us lie down in green pastures. He, he is the one who comforts our souls. He is the one who leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. He is the one who restores our soul. He is the one who anoints our head with oil. He is the one who prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. And he is the one who leads us as children of Abraham and as children of God to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We belong to Jesus Christ. Number 12, we are crucified to the world. 614. We sing about this verse today too. But far be it for me to boast except and the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. What did we sing? I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. Paul says the same thing. I will not boast in any of these things. And what does it mean to boast about something? We boast about things, brag and hold things up high that are dear to us, that we think this is great. I want everyone else to think this is great. Like if I hit a three-pointer in one of our pickup games, I want everybody to know I hit a three-pointer in one of our pickup games because I think it's great. That rarely happens. And I want them to know it. When something we really can boast about, oh, we think it's so amazing. We want everyone to know how amazing it is. So Paul says, I have nothing else to brag about. There's really only one thing that I think is amazing. The cross of Jesus Christ. I have nothing, the world's no longer amazing to me, he says. The ways of Judaism are no longer amazing to me. Being intelligent, surpassing all of my peers, that's not amazing to me anymore. I've died to the ways of the world. What is amazing to Paul now, what should be amazing to us now, is not what the USA holds dear, is not what our world keeps pushing out, but the ways of Christ, in Christ himself, in his kingdom. We've died to the way the world runs. And now we have a new operating system, Christ and Christ himself. This is what it means to brag on the cross of Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The world has nothing for me anymore. And the world doesn't even want me anymore. We've died to each other. Now we're alive with Christ. And last one, 13, we are new creations, 615. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. The battle throughout the book of Galatians is that they, these false teachers are saying, you must be circumcised to be saved. If you're not circumcised, you're not saved. You got to have Jesus and this. You got to believe in Jesus and be circumcised to be saved. Paul says, no, that's not how it works. Circumcision doesn't count for anything. And being uncircumcised doesn't count for anything. That doesn't make us new people. Right now, this second, we are only new creations because of faith in Jesus Christ. Good works don't change us. No amount of praying will make you a new person. No amount of Bible reading will make you a new creation. No amount of being a good person and avoiding these kinds of things will make you a new creation. Only Faith in Jesus Christ will make you new. And this is what it means to really fall away from grace, where we begin to think, well, if I believe in Jesus, and then I do this, then, then God will really be happy with me. 
If I read my Bible this much, then I'll be in a better position to have God's blessings in my life. This is what they are thinking. I believe in Jesus, then I'll be circumcised, then God will really accept me. Then God will really love me. Paul says, no. He says earlier in the book of Galatians, if you want circumcision, fine. But Christ will be of no advantage to you. Because Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And, but Jesus plus anything equals nothing. If you remember, especially if you're in high school, college, you really won't use a lot of math for the rest of your life. You got, you got calculators and all kinds of stuff. So suffer through it now. But know this. This is one math equation you should remember for the rest of your life. That Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And Jesus plus anything, your good works, your amount of prayer and Bible reading, your mission trip, those don't make you Christians. That's the fruit of just being a Christian. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. It's Christ and Christ alone that makes us new creations. And all those, those things are good. We should read our Bibles. We should pray. We should serve. Those are all things we should do as new creations. They don't make us new creations. That's the fruit of being a new creation. Christianity isn't mainly about following the teachings of Jesus. If that were true, we'd be just like the Muslims who follow the words of Muhammad. We'd be just like the Buddhists who follow the teachings of Buddha. What makes us totally different is that we believe in a crucified and resurrected Jew, and now we are made new creations in him. We don't just follow his teachings, we follow the teacher. And he is alive in us, motivating and animating our lives, the one who died and rose again, and now we live for him, and now we spread his name to the ends of the earth because we are new creations in him. This is what it means to be a Christian. He's made you these 13 things right now. There's not another stage of Christianity waiting to occur. It's not like if you read your Bible in one year, the whole thing, that you unlock the new level of Christianity. You have all 13 of these are real to your life right now. But what must happen is that we must believe them, that I really am all 13, that I really am crucified with Christ, that I really am a servant of Christ, that I really am a child of Abraham, that I really am a child of God, that we all really are one in Christ, that I am an heir with Christ, that I have been adopted because of Christ, that I am known by God because of Christ, that I am free because of Christ, that I am now led by the Spirit of Christ, and that I belong to Christ, and I've been crucified to the world because I've been crucified with Christ, and now that because of Christ, I am a new creation. I hope these will just begin to get embedded into your heart so that we'll live by faith in our resurrected Christ. Let's pray together.